There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Rarely going where no one has gone before. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I am Sean Fangirl S. And joining me on this mission into the unknown. I'm Chief Engineer Steve. And I'm Richard Dave, and today we'll be discussing episode two of season two of Star Trek Lower Deck. Wow. Okay, so I really like this episode. Me too. Like, I was cracking up. Yeah. And personally, it was funnier for me, which I was telling my fellow crewmates here off screen, because my husband did not understand a lot of it, (laughs) which made it funnier until I had to try to explain it to him after the fact. And he was looking at me like I had multiple heads. So it was weird. But... (laughs) This was great. I loved how they did this. And I loved that we are getting something that I don't think we could have done in a live action. So I am giving it definitely two thumbs up because that's all I have. (laughs) I only have the two appendages. Steve, what did you think? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Transporter clone there, Sean. Yeah. (laughs) As of right now, that is negative. Oh, this was such an awesome episode. I loved it. It was great. A lot of action in both stories. And we've got Boimler back. Yeah. At least one of them. (laughs) We're lucky we'll get three. Yeah. But he's the type of person who'll keep cloning himself accidentally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Soon there'll be a starship full of nothing but Boimlers and all be in a state of panic. Hey, I like this episode too. I gave it four out of five super soft and clean hands. That was great. It was my favorite episode of this season. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah, like Steve said, very well done. Lots of action and continue to be impressed by the animation, especially the spaceship animation. Super. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into episode two. Kayshawn, his eyes open. Our lower deckers have trouble bonding with Ensign Jet Manhaver, who has been assigned Boimler's bunk and shift duties. Meanwhile, we get a glimpse of Boimler's life on the USS Titan, which is more intense than he thought it would be. Personal well, wow, every time you see him, he's like screaming. <laughs> Face is contorted. It's the best. I almost had to shade my eyes. The first scene we get is... Uh... Mariner Rutherford and Tindy going into the shower together. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> They're met by isn't Jet Manhaver, which has been uh, assigned to their beta ship. I'm like, wow, they all shower together? Okay. <laughs> I was like, well, that's something they never told you on Next Generation. No. <laughs> Mariner company welcomes him to the team and refers to herself as the unofficial leader. Much of Manhaver confusion. In the shower, Jet takes the a booth right next to Mariner, and she knows that they would normally leave that booth open as Brad Boimler left it open when he was still with them because he's shy. Yeah. She was uncomfortable with the communal nudity. Aww. Jet simply replies that he's not Boimler and he's not there. And they, 
he wasn't there and ignoring Mariner's concern. In response, Mariner amplifies the shower to an act of provocation. Jet just brushes it off and turns it up even higher. Wow. Talk about measuring in the shower. Yes. <laughs> As the shower increases in frequency, they begin to disturb the other officers in the shower, but Mariner simply turns it up even higher. Unable to take the extreme frequency, the other officers run out of the showers while Mariner and Manhaver do their best to ride out the extreme frequency. It's a good thing stuff wasn't falling off. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how one person is controlling all of the showers. I'm like, right. uh, you better quit touching that. That's all I, I know. I like a cold shower. I like a hot shower. Cold shower. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, too thanks. bad. We're going to have lava. Yeah. So let's talk about the Cerritos, shall we? <laughs> On the bridge of the Cerritos, Captain Carol Freeman is offering condolences to Chairman Siggy for the passing of Collector Kerner Howes, when I'm probably saying that wrong. But Siggy merely scoffed, saying that Howes wasn't his friend and that his collection paled in comparison to his. What were you talking about? Measuring a minute ago? Yes. Yeah, really. Good grief. <laughs> Freeman asks how the Cerrito can help, and Siggy tells that we need to auction off the collection, but in accordance to guild rules, we don't know what's dangerous, what's not, so we need your help to dispose of anything dangerous. It's like, wait a second, is he trying to redshirt all of them? That's yeah. what it felt like to me. It's like Barbara from Stargirl have to go check on the closet where they're keeping all the magic stuff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's fine. It's fine. But Freeman accepts his request and the transmission ends. She sits back down and she's a bit annoyed by the mannerisms of Siggy and calls the Collector's Guild a group of greedy pack rats. She is not looking forward to this mission as she is expecting the results of her command evaluation today. But Commander Jack Ransom assures her that it sounds like a simple enough mission and volunteers to lead the away team. Who here wanted him to go because something was probably going to happen? Raise your hand. <laughs> that was me. Something of his might float into space, so no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Freeman declines his request, saying it's a good opportunity for our new chief of security to show what he's capable of. And I was really hoping that somehow we were going to get our old security chief back. Right. Like yeah. He was going to be like pieced together Frankenstein style or something. But <laughs> Ew. And he's but still at, listed on the credit. Yeah, so you know, yeah. you never know. But at the moment, we get a Tamarian lieutenant named Kashan entering the bridge. Kashan is the first Tamarian to join Starfleet, and he is joining the Cerritos as the chief of security. I find this amusing because if you remember way back on the episode, I don't even know what episode it is, when we first meet the Tamarians, they only speak in metaphor. Right. This was also funny because this is what my husband who was watching with me did not understand. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain it to him. Like I said, he looked at me crazy and I'm like, all right, like, how did they explain it? And I'm like trying to do the Juliet on the balcony. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm going to find it. It'll be easier. Right. But Freeman welcomes him aboard and the Tamarian gives a greeting, which confuses the bridge crew. But then he quickly corrects himself so that he's better understood. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Universal translator. Hold on. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you need a babble fish in your ear. It'll be fine. Yeah. In the corridors, of course, Mariner, Rutherford, Tendi, and Manhaver are getting ready for their new away mission. Because, of course, we're going to have these. Why would we throw somebody else in unless you know they're going to be red-shirted? Right. <laughs> Tendi is excited, pretty much as always, that they're going on an away mission with Keishan, while Mariner appears rather unenthusiastic about it all. Manhaver, on the other hand, seems like a real suck-up. 
He is taking the mission very seriously. And Mariner tells him that you're being way more uptight, more than even Boimler ever was, which that's saying something. Yeah. Rutherford notes how Boimler would have loved this away mission because he took the ethics of collecting at Starfleet Academy. And Tendi notes how he's probably happier on the USS site. Of course, we get a cutaway. And again, him basically screaming in panic. Back on the Cerritos, Mariner, Rutherford, and Tendi, along with Matt Haver, report to Kayshawn in the transporter room. Kayshawn is still struggling with the Federation standard language, but Matt Haver helps him out while Mariner quietly taunts him. They beam over to Hayes' collection and meet Ziggy, who instructs them to go through the items in the room while leaving the high-end items in the cases alone. Okay, but he just kind of said the high-end items at first. That could be a whole lot of stuff in here. You're not exactly giving information. No. (laughs) I'm sure everything isn't labeled high-end. Yeah. (laughs) And Manhaver, the suck-up that he is, again, is confident that the job can get done in about an hour. And Ziggy's like, this is just like the first room. There's a whole lot more further in this ship. Yeah. Oh, boy. So we go check in on the Titan, and it's in combat with the pack-led cruiser. Boimler is a bit overwhelmed, as always, but is able to carry out the orders of Captain William T. Riker as instructed. He maneuvers the Titan behind the cruiser, and they fire phasers and photon torpedoes, causing the packlets to retreat. Yay! I just watched the episode with the packlets recently, too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this wow. is so weird that I happen to see these two. I'm wondering if they kind of timed it. Because it was <laughs> within the last month I've seen both of these episodes. Right. Nope. You're psychic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, the crew of the Titans celebrate their victory around a very stressed and overwhelmed Boimler. Now, you never saw the Enterprise crew jumping up and chest bumping. and <laughs> That would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think, That's uh, high five. Data yeah. would have knocked somebody with like yeah. four bulkheads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Worf would have just body slammed somebody. Yeah. Everybody would have been lining up for Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say? Later, back on the Titan, Riker is briefing his senior officers about the recent pattern of a packlet attacks. They are apparently after Beruvian ore, an ore that contains volatile minerals at high vibratory frequencies and has been weaponized by terrorists in the pack. The tactical officer notes that the pack lids are unable to weaponize the ore on, on their own, and Riker agrees, saying Starfleet Command believes that someone else is helping them. Intel suggests that the pack lids are about to attack a Beruvian mining colony on Karzil 4 and briefs them on an undercover mission in which they will disguise themselves as miners, plan a tracking device on the Packlid shuttle, and hope that the Packlid will lead them to this other player. Now, Boimler busies himself with recording the mission brief, though Riker tells him he doesn't need to write everything down. Yeah. He had oh, like no, 10 he, pads he was shuffling. I, <laughs> like I love it because then, yeah, then he's like, you don't need to write everything <laughs> down. <laughs> That reminded me of Blazing Saddle. Yes. <laughs> like, tell them I said, ow, is exactly yeah. what I was feeling with this one. Meanwhile, back on the Cerritos, Keishan screams in pain as the energy transformed him into a puppet. Yeah, that was a little gruesome, but funny. But <laughs> <laughs> shortly after this, multiple flying orbs attack the others while various items are flung as projectiles and exotic animals are released from their cages. Mainhaver tries to contact Cerritos for an emergency transport, but communications are blocked. Right. Always. And Mariner and Manhaver save Keishan's puppet after 
from being from being crushed and they're about to escape the room. That was so funny. It's a little squeaky toy. Yeah. <laughs> they're diving for her. Siggy scolds Tendy for stealing an item and complains that he never should have gotten Starfleet involved. Shut up, Siggy. Mariner suggests the need to go to the engine room to disable the defenses and comes up with a plan to go through the other galleries to get there. Manhaver, however, has a safer plan on getting to the ship's escape pods while going through a fewer galleries. This plan is favored by everyone else, much to the astonishment of Mariner. Yeah, she was not a happy camper. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, I have to say, I was surprised that they, even though it was safer that they chose Manhaver over Mariner because they were so tight. But I also Uh, have to say, I loved the Jurassic Park throwback in there. Yeah. ah, 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 (laughs) When everything gets triggered. I'm sorry. Yeah, I had I like, to. I like, it was great. I like Beckett's little girl too. She always goes, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the bridge of the Cerritos, Freeman is notably agitated and Rance asks her if she shouldn't check in on the away team. Freeman, however, is trying to show more trust in her crew as her command evaluation results showed her she had a bad habit of micromanaging. While she dis- disagrees with the results, she is confident Kayshawn has everything in the order. Oh, I love the look on the crew's face. Me? Oh, my God. Me, yeah. micromanage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was great. Everybody's like, look somewhere else. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) Don't ask me. Don't ask me. (laughs) Back on house ship, everyone is making their way through the gallery after gallery, evading traps and helping one another out of various obstacles. As Mariner, Tendi, and Manhaver do their best to save Rutherford and Keishon from an inorganic manor compactor, Siki leaves them to fend, up, fend for himself, offering no assistance. The compactor is damaged when a large crane slams into the compactor, and the four catch up with Siki in a room full of fossils. Weird. Yeah. Mariner I was angry. like, is that supposed to be bones, quite literally? Because it was uh, like the big skeleton with the blue shirt. What? I know. That was, what that is this like a giant sp- Bach or something? <laughs> See, I was thinking it was bones. Right. Being, I'm like, no, they did not. Uh, we'll find out in the Easter egg section. Yep. Mariner angrily approaches Siggy and berates him for abandoning them. As Siggy tries to get away when he drops Kayla's fornication helmet from under <laughs> his clothes. I know. <laughs> Say that without laughing. Realizing it was him all along, activated the ship's automated defenses. Tendi scolds him for accusing Aaron. He simply replies he's not answering to any of them. Manny ever tries to warn him he's about to back him into a laser tripwire, but Siggy doesn't listen and walks right into it. Idiot. <laughs> Immediately, the fossil remains of what appears to be Spock 2, drops from the ceiling and crushes Siggy, killing him. I expected, I keep expecting him to crawl out because no, no one really dies. Right. <laughs> well, maybe they do. Mariner, Rutherford, and Tendi and Manhaver begin to climb up a pile of bones. There you go. Bones. To press forward, and Mariner criticizes Manhaver for his approach, that his approach is unsafe. Manhaver counters that her plan was just as risky, and there's always the unknown variables in any plan. He also accuses Mariner of not considering the lives of her fellow crewmates, which causes her to accuse him of using his cumulus to prop him up so that he appears more heroic. She's projecting a lot in this episode. He, oh, he really, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As they continue to argue, a hovering robotic vacuum distracts her because causing her to hit it with annoyance. Uh, that's like hitting a, a Green Lantern annoyance. You never do yes, that. Yes, never do that. Never do that. <laughs> Stop vacuuming me. <laughs> her action triggers a network response and numerous more vacuums surround them and begin to attack them. Which is also funny. They run yeah. into a room and Manhaver begins to construct a barricade of the bones while Mariner uses the bones like a club to attack the vacuums. Only on this show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Both try to get Tendi and Rutherford to help with their respective plans. Back on the houses ship, Manhaver has constructed the barricade, and Mariner gets angry with him how he's acting like a textbook leader. He, in turn, tells her he's just trying to step up and that she's trying to be a renegade hero. Both true, true. Yep. Mariner simply says that diving in and acting in the moment is how she works best, while Manhaver tells her that he works best by thinking things out. And they're both right and I thought it was near the end of last season when Mariner had to be the hero. She was just trying to be like everyone else. Right. Right. She just panicked. Well, she didn't panic. She just took over. And that's what she does. Yep. That's when she was at her best. Manhaver asked if she thinks he's trying to be like Ransom in his approach. And two start to laugh at the mannerisms of certain senior officers. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to laugh about with Ransom. As they stop <laughs> arguing, the vacuum start to break through the barricade. And Mariner, they should, you know what that, they should have had a cat. You know how cats get along? Right. With these, with these vacuums? Giant cat. Or giant bones of a cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mariner regrets having blindly hit one of the vacuums, while Manhaver regrets having taken them through this area in the first place. They come to the conclusion that neither of them should be in charge and ask Tendi and Rutherford if they have any ideas. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tendi comes to uh, find some Excalibur bones and notes that there's with enough friction they can break down and become acidic. And Rutherford notes that they can use, use to cut through the wall paneling and access the engineering sub-circuits. Good thing they brought them along. Mariner asks, why I didn't bring this up before? And Tendi responds that they weren't in charge. Isn't that when they like looked at each other? Yeah. yeah. As the vacuum continued to break through the barricade on House's ship, Tendi and Rutherford managed to ignite the bone, <laughs> put it into. Go- oh, I should have made a joke about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We put a bone and cut it into the panels. Still time. Rutherford notes that how the corridor should lead him to the escape pods, and Tenny tells him to stay alert, pressing both Mariner and Manhaver. Yeah, that was cute. On the bridge of the Cerritos, Ransom assures Freeman that she can check in on the crew, but she declined. Ensign Barnes alerts her that a couple of escape pods have been jettisoned from Howes' ship, and Freeman has put them on screen. Rutherford and Tenny appear on screen, and Freeman demands to know what happened. Rutherford tells her that the ship tried to collect them while Tender reveals that Kayshan was turned into a puppet. She did it as a metaphor. That was so funny. Yes. <laughs> Kayshan, when he became a puppet. Frustrated that her lack of checking in was caused to chaos, she would not be so hands-off in the future. Ugh. Like, anybody <laughs> thought that was going to last? No. no. <laughs> Back with the Titan, Boimler is about to start his undercover operation with the other senior officers of the Titan and expresses enthusiasm for the assignment. The tactical officer notes how Riker must have been disappointed needing to remain on the Titan as he would rather be out basically kicking ass and taking names because he wants to be all in the action. The lieutenant notes how Riker must have been so bored on the Enterprise D since there was not much action on the ship. Boimler... I felt like somebody told him Santa Claus wasn't real. Right. (laughs) The look on his face. He is so confused and notes several instances that the Enterprise encountered the Borg, visited multiple dimensions, but the officers just laugh it off, noting how they held numerous concerts with string quartets. (laughs) I was like, wow, okay. On Carzel 4, the Packlands have attacked the mining colony and gathered the miners up as they take over the mine. Boimler tries to inspire courage in one of the miners, but the miner has no trouble seeing that Boimler is Starfleet because look at your soft, clean hands. Gotta be like, look at his soft, clean face is really what I'm thinking. Noticing the shuttle is unoccupied, the away team breaks away from the other miners to plant the tracking device. But the first officer notices another packlet and moves to stun him. However, 
As she tries to stun him, the packet reveals it's just armor covering beef jerky and cheese puffs. What? They bring, I guess, snacks as they're going to do this? Because the packet bought them. Yeah. They were like, they're trying to take our snacks. Yeah. Get them. Yeah, they were more mad, I think, about that than that they were doing anything else. Oh, yeah. Of course. Although, I think if Mariner was there, she would have probably been running with, like, a piece of beef jerky in her hand. (laughs) The Titans Away team seals themselves off from the packlets and hail Riker to try to get off planet. But, of course, he doesn't know what's going on. But they're like, emergency transport! They can't get them out because the disruption field interfering with the transporter. The tactical officer notes that the recent Peruvian explosion must have released an ion cloud. And Riker tells them to hang on while they try to compensate. And anybody else notice how Riker was always standing with his leg up on a chair? Yes. Yeah. He was dying. That was hilarious. Only thing better would have been him sitting down and putting his leg up over the back of the chair to sit I, down. Why right. I haven't done that, I'd, I have no idea. <laughs> it's coming, I bet. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> the pack would start to break through by ramming the door with I the know. saw. Yeah, not, not as soon as, bring me a saw. I'm like, oh, they're going to cut through. And I'm <laughs> watching and thunk. I'm like, oh my God, these people. <laughs> Believing that they're about to die, the away team compliments one another by saying they were happy to go out fighting besides each other. Boimler, however, tells them, I didn't join Starfleet to get in fights and die this way. I joined to explore, making new discoveries, getting involved in peaceful diplomacy. <laughs> like he was a little upset. He goes on to say how he loved how Riker was doing things like back on the Enterprise, like playing his trombone or catching love disease. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he had that a couple times. <laughs> Meeting his transporter duplicate, Thomas Riker. And as he's talking, all of a sudden he reminds himself, wait a second, his double. Wait. I can do this. And it's like, yeah. he's all excited. But the other officers start talking about the small reasons that they actually joined Starfleet. It's like, well, thank you for reminding me of that. And I love it. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can figure this out. So he disrupts the field by initiating one of the mining drills and reversing the polarity as the pack would burst through. I don't know if I'd say burst through because they were really <laughs> crappy with trying to get through that door, but they come through the door nonetheless. But the Titan is able to pick up the signatures and beam all of them up except Boimler who is sitting there screaming as they try to finally transport him up. But the Packlets end up charging Boimler, and a battle axe gets thrown, and suddenly, big explosion! What happens? <laughs> Other than Boimler screaming, because we yes, have a lot. The explosion has trapped Boimler under debris, and while the Packlets attack, Riker tries to have him beamed out. However, the initial attempt is unsuccessful as the distortion field re-engages. The transporter officer reroutes main power and initiates a secondary containment beam, which successfully beams Boimler into the transporter room. And while Riker congratulates Boimler for his actions, the bridge notifies him that one of their shuttlecraft has been detected approaching from the planet with its pilot signaling distress. As all the Titan officers beamed off, they suspect a packled trap and ready their weapons as they beam the pilot on board. Did you have any hint that this would happen? Although the hints were dropped earlier. Yeah, the hints were dropped. Still did not expect it. No, me neither. The pilot, however, is revealed to be Boimler. (laughs) And they realize the disruption field's interaction with the Titan's transporter resulted in the creation of a transporter duplicate for Boimler. Of course it is. (laughs) Oh, God, we were just talking. How are they going to get Boimler off? Well, let's just make another one. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel bad though. Like this is what he wanted, but then well, he didn't want all of this. But yeah. right, <laughs> Riker is delighted that they are both okay, while Boimler and his clone show some disdain for one another. Later on, Riker calls Boimler and his clone to his ready room and commemorates them for both for their actions on Carzil 4, noting his own experience of meeting his own clone. <laughs> However, Riker says he cannot keep them both as Starfleet Command thinks their missions are too complex to have the added complication of two identical crew members being aboard one ship and that one of them will have to be transferred to the Cerritos and demoted back to Ensign. I didn't understand why he has to be demoted. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you can't officially have <laughs> two Boimlers with the same rank. Oh, maybe. So Boimler and his clone nod to one another, and Boimler steps forward, volunteering to go, though he's immediately confused as he expected his clone to do the same thing. His clone denies knowing this and says that it's a real grown-up for him to accept the transfer. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> that's shitty. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they aren't identical duplicates, that's for sure. Yeah, neither with Thomas, really. That's right. Boimler is distraught by this, but Riker takes him aside and says that he wishes he could be on a ship that was dedicated more to exploration rather than just nonstop action, and he advises Boimler to appreciate every moment he has on the Cerritos. Boimler thanks him, but is still a bit disappointed as he leaves the ready room, and his clone names himself <laughs> William Boimler. William. How's that sound? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and begins to pal around with Riker. Yeah, that's got to hurt Bradward deeply. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, salt in the wound. Salt in the wound. Yep. As Boimler is about to depart the Titan, the senior staff meeting, complimenting him on his actions on the away mission and wish him well. And Boimler leaves the Titan happy as the officers ponder if they will see him again. And they conclude they will since they'll be seeing his clone every day. <laughs> Duh. He's going to be a suck up too. Yeah. Back on the Cerritos, Kason has been taken to sick bay and Dr. Tiana tells Freeman that he will be back to normal in an hour before scolding counselor. Miglimo for playing with him. I yeah. loved the note. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Read the sign. Yeah. <laughs> and the counselor just totally ignores it. In the lounge, Mariner, Rutherford, Tindy, and Manhaver are having corn together, and Mariner and Manhaver <laughs> apologize to one another for their behavior. Mariner calls him a true lower decker, and she's about to express optimism for their future work together when Boimler enters the lounge, much to their excitement. Like, I expected Mariner to just push him out of the, the booth. Like, <laughs> yeah, Boimler tells them he was transferred back, and Mariner happily invites him to sit with them, as Manhaver has to leave to let him get it reacquainted with it, one another. I mean, cold. they could have squished, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they were yeah, more really. like, get out. Yeah, they eagerly talk about their recent away mission with Kason's accident and ask him what Titan was like. Well, Boimler tells them that he's much more interested in what's been going on with the Cerritos. And Mariner calls for shots. And, of course, Boimler's got to get him since he left them on the Cerritos. <laughs> I knew that was coming. As Boimler goes to get the drinks, Kayshawn, no longer a puppet, approaches a female <laughs> lieutenant and tries to socialize with her. But as pickup line annoys her and she leaves him at the bar. Well, he simply says, well, Shaka, when the walls fell, and enjoys his drink. Should have stayed as a puppet, a lot cuter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. What's next, Steve? Do we have a section coming up? Should I work Just out? For Dave. Should I should I fill myself with water? I got a water bottle here. Yes, Ready? you probably will need it. You might need to stretch out for yourself. Out oxygen. I'll get you for this, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> When Jet joins the lower deckers at the start of the episode, it's implied they're on beta ship. And for all you Navy dudes out there, this is the blue and gold ship. They have that ship, too. Because, like, on a submarine, half of them are sleeping. You can never go to sleep in a submarine because, you know, underwater. Right. So half the staff is gold and the other half is blue. And they keep the sub going 24 hours. <laughs> well, Navy, uh, is that Navy Boomer trivia, Steve? I don't know. Uh, I think so. All if right. That qualifies. This- this seems to check out with season one in which it was clear that the Cerritos was on a four-shift duty rotation, which included a night shift known as Delta Shift. This idea was first introduced in the Next Generation episode, Chain of Command, an episode of Lower Decks, page flip, <laughs> <laughs> which they love to, to make references to. Although sonic showers are a reference a lot in Star Trek, there were only s- seen sonic showers a few times. You know, I had a Star Trek a game, a Next Generation game. Right. Game, and you're supposed to follow Troy to the shower. Whoa. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, <laughs> and then it leaves you with a choice. And I, of course, I made the wrong choice. I'm like, no. <laughs> I kept going back to see if I would get to redo it and never would let me. <laughs> Frustrating. Anyway, the first time was in the in the motion picture, and since we've only glimpsed the we've only glimpsed them in the showers, not this time. Yeah, <laughs> the, the visual effect of the communal sonic showers is very similar to TMP, but the idea of the communal showers from the lower office is vaguely referenced by the novelization of the motion picture too. If you know, then you know. Again, the the idea of various collectors in the galaxy references Kivos Fajo and the most toys, and what and this is what Freeman means by they all tried to collect data. Another inside joke they all giggle to. Yep. <laughs> Everybody tried to collect data. Notably, the Cerritos counselor, the avian doctor Miglimo, returns in this episode once again, voiced by Paul T. Tompkins, echoing counselor's Troy non-standard uniform. McLemo appears to wear whatever he wants while on duty, even sitting on the bridge. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> when the landing party for the Cerritos first boards the ship, just, just in the first room alone, there are tons of Easter eggs. Really, Steve? Tons? Yep. Getting all this is going to be tricky, but we're going to give it a go. We? <laughs> Here's what By you can we, spot. we mean you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Here's what you can spot when you pause for the first couple of shots in the first room. Actually, seeing some of the stuff in the background, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. All right. Captain Picard, paper mache head from Captain Picard A, next generation, the Pegasus. Then there's the game, the TNG, the game, baseball, bat and ball, possible DS9 Cisco reference. Yeah, why not? Giant unicorn, possibly a blade runner reference. If they had tripped over a tiny paper unicorn, I would have gone, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm still trying to figure out what the ending of that movie is about. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Marty McFly's shoes in Back to the Future. Terran Empire flag, which I have to have now. Yes. <laughs> uh, how do you get it? By the way, how do you get a Terran Empire flag? Somebody leave it behind? Yeah. <laughs> when they went visiting? Yeah. How, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How the uh, hell did he get that? Yeah. Oh, somebody did some vacationing. Khan's yeah. necklace from The Wrath of Khan. Wow. The Valiant Flight Recorder from the original series where no man has gone before. Gold, the original series uniform giant pink tribble <laughs> more tribbles and more troubles and more tribbles is an m113 life form the original series the man trap also this is at least the third time as the soft vampires appeared on lower decks i know they love that character yes they do <laughs> I, I think they just like drawing it yeah 
And having the M113 life forms as a collectible not only references the Mantrap, but also the Squire of Gothos, in which your boy Trelane, as talk about spook characters, had an M113 creature as a museum piece, too. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, first appearing in the Next Generation's Haven, which was a talking box, which was meant to bond with a person. But yeah, weird. <laughs> the existence of this artifact here is also a possible double reference to other things. In the Haven, the face of the gift box was played by Armin's Shimmerman, more famous later as Quark on DS9. Told you we were going to go there. Yep. <laughs> but on top of that, back in 1994, the Star Trek The Next Generation collectible card game, I'll get you for that too, Steve, published <laughs> by Deciphering, had a very powerful card based on the Betazoid gift box. Ooh, that's not something I want. If you ever played the game, you know this is a rare and useful card that was, well, very collectible. We briefly see a trombone in one of these collector's cases, which seems like a, an easy reference to Riker. But which one? <laughs> because this episode also directly references second chances and Will Riker's duplicate Thomas Riker. It is possible this is the trombone that Will gave to Thomas at the end of the TNG episode. Briefly, there appears the case for being Thomas Riker's trombone. In DS9 episode, Defiant, Thomas Riker tried to steal the Defiant, but was later arrested by Starfleet. Presumably, this would mean all that stuff would have been confiscated, including the trombone. Oh, so disappointing. <laughs> Tamarians, or the children of Tarma, originated in the Next Generation episode, Dharma. In case you forgot, Picard cracked the case with, with this species by learning they spoke exclusively through metaphor and analogy. Mariner mocks this by pointing out they all have to do is listen to for context clues. Yeah, she didn't like that. Oh, she gets so defensive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Riker tells Boimler to use the attack pad in Delta on the Pakled ship. This seems to be a reference to the Empire Strikes Back, in which Luke tells the Snowspeeders of Rogue Squadron, attack pad in Delta, go, now. Oh my god, I missed that. Uh, <laughs> here's another go at seeing how many Easter eggs were jammed into this less than two minutes of screen time. The Catan probe from the next generation of the Inner Light. Vulcan Lurpa weapon, original series Amok Time, one of my favorites. Klingon Batleth, next generation DS9 Voyager et al., how can you have a Star Trek without a bat left? Yes. You know? <laughs> There's also the Andorian dueling weapon from uh, Enterprise United. Shark in a tank, a reference to the real life Damien Hurst, probably. Yeah, I've almost had a shark in a tank. <laughs> so, anyway, Mars Rover. Kate is caught game, Voyager. Chateau Picard, wine crate, which I have downstairs. <laughs> Isomagnetic disintegrator, Worf Bazooka from Insurrection. Now that's a reach. Yes. A <laughs> <laughs> try and scanners. Scotty loves those things in the original series. And a Curlin Nascos, a next generation of the chase, a very big episode for canon. Okay, wait, drink. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that this specific Klingon artifact is clearly something Kalis, Jesus, wore <laughs> while the name speaks for itself. But which Kalis? Hmm? The fake clone Kalis from Rifle or the real, real, the real deal Kalis from the ninth century? And the Kalis reference gets doubly meta because, as you'll see later, Lower Decks eventually references the very first reference in canon to Kalis, too. Why not? Did yeah. <laughs> Barely visible, just as Mariner and the gang are trying to escape, we can see Data's painting of this cat spot. I know it's awesome. First scene in the Next Generation episode, Inheritance. And later in the background in the movie, Generation. Let's combine two scenes here. In two pivotal moments in this episode, Boimler is defending the honor and relative coolness of the Next Generation adventures on the Enterprise D, which he calls the D. Here's, the th here's what seems to, he seems to be referencing. They went to other dimensions. This seems to be a reference to the idea that D did go to another dimension in the episode where no one has gone before. It also could reference yesterday's Enterprise, but nobody could remember that. <laughs> That's <laughs> they, gold. Yeah, they fought the Borg, which uh, references Q, Q, 
Hugh Hu in the best of both worlds and Descent, they uh, insurrected. <laughs> this is a reference to uh, Star Trek Insurrection, which was not the Enterprise D, but instead the Enterprise E. Yeah, same crew. The Lower Decks writers surely know this. Why doesn't Boingler know this? Maybe the game of telephone in the Federation is a little inaccurate. In LDS Season 1, the, the news of Data's brother seemed to travel very slowly. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no. They had a regular string quartet. This is the disc. This references uh, several TNG episodes, notably Sarek, uh, again, in Inheritance. Never diss a Sarek episode. Never. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Riker was jamming on the trombone a ton of TNG, including The Next Phase, Future Imperfect, and, of course, Second Chances. Catching the love disease, you have to say love like that. Yeah. <laughs> probably from Next Generation's The Naked Now. And acting in plays, the most references, this mostly references Riker acting when a crusher plays in the next frame of mind. Plus the fact that they, uh, they're, every time these guys did a hologram thing, they're like either cowboys or interacting with Sherlock Holmes or anything else. Right. They did Robin Hood too. Yes. They? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, referred to. Oh, uh, I don't know if we were getting up to this. Did you see Mariner holding a skull with Abraham Lincoln's beard? Yes. Turning it into a, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now that was cold. Yeah. I, I was laughing with Mariner, like basically rubbing the abs on the statue. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I know that was weird. That was funny. So in the spooky skeleton room, we see what happens when a giant humanoid skeleton wearing a blue original series starts. Who is it? Best guess? This is the giant Spock clone from the animated series, The Infinite Vulcan. Okay, that would be why I didn't know it. And I was just thinking, you know, (laughs) Bones McCoy. Right. (laughs) Towards the end of the episode, the gang is trapped in a diorama that seems to have an alien and a skeleton of Abraham Lincoln, of course. This reference to the original series episode, The Savage Curtain, in which the... uh, Excalibians produce copies of Lincoln along with Kalis and Surak. This episode was the first reference to Star Trek canon to both Kalis and Surak, and so basically created the backstories of both Vulcan and Canon cl- cultures through historically inaccurate versions of those people. Funny, right? Yeah. Especially <laughs> when you're using Abraham Lincoln's skull to plug a hole. Yeah. <laughs> when Boiler beams the away team out through the distortion field, Riker says, Oh, I've heard this tune before. It's always a tune. <laughs> this references the uh TNG banger, second chance in which Riker's transporter duplicate was discovered on a planet years after the fact. In this sense, uh, Boiler's transporter clone got off easy. Also, the idea that one of the transporter duplicates makes a different decision than the other also references second changes in which Thomas Riker ends up being a different person than Will. Didn't he hit on uh, Troy? Oh, hell yeah. Everybody hit on Troy. The idea that both can't serve in the Titan anymore might reference the idea that the TNG writing staff considered killing off the first Will Riker and placing him with his duplicate. This would have meant that Data would have become the first officer in season six and Riker the operations officer. That didn't happen. But from a point of view of the Titan crew, something like this basically did happen. (laughs) God. While talking to the Mr. Boimlers, uh, Riker put one foot up on the couch. Classic uh, Riker lane. Classic. And Sean thinks it's slightly sexy. <laughs> I had such a crush on him. Oh. It was great. I And then when I met him in real life, I'm like, oh. <laughs> put your foot up for me. <laughs> Just before Boimler leaves the ready room, William Boimler, oh, suck up. And Riker is sharing some <laughs> Romulan ale. Riker says, computer, play Nightbird. God, you know, I am so happy we get all this Riker stuff too in Picard and here. Yes. And he seems to really enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> 
This also references second chances in which Riker is unable to play the trombone solo for this song, which Troy teases about endlessly. Nightbird also appears to be a made-up song, but who knows? Maybe William Boyle will be able to master it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know what we didn't cover? Harry Kim from Voyager. He had a duplicate, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Remember, ne- even he didn't know which is the real one, and one of them died. Right. And they just kept the other one as a crew yeah. member. And I still can't get over that. Yeah. Like, which one is it? <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I worked out for that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it went well. Yep. Well, awesome episode. Yeah, it was. It was so much fun. Yeah. When you get on a collector ship, you're going to have callbacks <laughs> out the wazoo, and we got them. <laughs> I wonder if we're done with collector episodes for all our series this year. Oh. Uh, uh, I kind of doubt it. I think it's just too much fun for them to drop those little Easter eggs in there and see how many you can find. (laughs) Oh, so they hate me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Dave. Nana. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Okay, wait a minute. Let me get my accompany myself on trombone. <laughs> Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show. So find us. Is there a lot of Star Trek Lower Day podcasts out there? Tell your friends and hope you like our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fango Zone podcast. <laughs> Oh, and while you're at it, you can head over to www.fangirlzone.com. We do not have any music over there, but we do have a contacts page so you can find it. All the ways you can get a hold of us. And of course, we are still working on everything over there. So please be kind. But also, if you have found more Easter eggs, please no. let us know because Dave no. and Steve fight over trying to find all of them. I'm just along for the ride. But <laughs> We love it. I can provide music for your website. (laughs) (laughs) I came up with a song last week, right, Steve? Yeah. (laughs) So in closing, the second episode is on August 26th. Yeah, the third. Yeah. (laughs) But it don't matter. We don't know what the title is. So who cares? The title is multiple question marks. So until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve. More like a suck up at Tanagra. This is Sean Fangirl S. I liked it really high. Out. And this is Redshirt Dave. <laughs> and my aft is hanging out. <laughs> <laughs>